for Gospel Hope, really our theme this year is this idea of prayer and becoming increasingly dependent children on the Lord. So over the next four weeks, or this is a four-part series, we're going to be walking through the Gospel of Luke, which is the gospel that most emphasizes prayer. So today we're going to start with the Lord's Prayer and work through a couple parables and some of Jesus' teaching on prayer throughout the Gospel of Luke. So I hope my prayer about this series is that we would all learn to pray more effectively. So we're going we're gonna to start out just a little bit differently to kind of remind us that we are dependent on the Lord. And I've asked Andrew, uh, one of the members of our prayer team, to come and just lead us as we begin this morning and pray for us that we would hear from God. And he's actually going to pray for me. So instead of me praying, Andrew's going to pray this morning. And we're just going to kind of remind ourselves that we need the Lord this morning. So Andrew, go ahead and lead us. Uh, God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for this place, the place that we get to meet, we get to fellowship together, we get to learn about your word and your character and who you are, God. Mm. Lord, thank you for this family that we get to come together every Sunday and throughout the week and just commune, that we are not like brothers and sisters, we are brothers and sisters, we are family here, God. Lord, so I just pray that today and through this series that you teach us better how to pray. Not just prayers that we're used to praying, but bold prayers. Prayers that we pray even when we don't believe it and that we continue to pray until we do, God. Mm. Lord, I pray that we come to know during this time that you are truly the way maker. You are truly the miracle worker, God. Mm. Lord, thank you for Ryan. Thank you for his leadership here. Lord, I pray that today as he brings your word that we are able to be refreshed and renewed, that we clear our minds of anything that we brought in, and that we're just able to receive whatever you have for us today, God. So, Lord, thank you for who you are. Thank you for everything that you have always been and everything that you will always be. Mm. Lord, teach us to pray today and for the rest of our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Ryan. Uh, any, um, any Karate Kid fans here? Any Karate Kid fans? Okay. All right. So this story, it's, it's been through two iterations, right? I like them both personally, but I want to give a little bit of illustration about the first one that has become a bit of a cult classic. And I think one of the reasons why the Karate Kid has such enduring power is because of the iconic character, Mr. Miyagi, right? Mr. Miyagi's fairly awesome. I in the movie, Mr. Miyagi is an unassuming karate master who teaches his student karate in the un most unorthodox way. He makes Daniel-san sand the floor. You want to do it with me? Sand the floor. And of course, the most famous one, he makes him wax the car. Wax on, wax off. And then the last one he has him, if you remember this one, it is paint the fence. Paint the fence. Up and down, up and down. So he has these do these repetitive motions all over. Paint the fence, wax the floor, uh, or wax the car, sand the floor. And then Mr. Miyagi, in kind of this powerful montage, attacks Daniel's son. And in that moment, because of all the repetitive action, suddenly Daniel's son knows the basics of karate. Personally, I would have added, like, clean your room, wash the dishes, and take out the trash. But that's just me. Now, I'll let you be the judge of whether one can actually learn karate by doing household chores. 
But I bring this up because, in a sense, Jesus is the original Mr. Miyagi. Bet you never thought you would hear that sentence, but it's true. Here's what I mean. In Luke chapter 11, after the disciples listened to Jesus pray, they asked of him to teach them to pray. Look at Luke chapter 11, verse number 1. He was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Then Jesus recites what has become known as the Lord's Prayer. Verse 2, Father, your name be honored as holy, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone in debt to us, and do not bring us into temptation. Now, although Jesus did explicitly say, whenever you pray, say, I don't think Jesus intent was for his disciples to recite these particular words every time they went before the lord as if this particular prayer is some sort of magical incantation rather what i think jesus is doing is like mr miyagi he is giving his disciples a template for prayer so that they would learn these basic forms and then when they go to pray, their spiritual muscle memory would kick in and they would know the basics of prayer. What is more, Jesus being the master teacher that he is, aimed this lesson not only at the 12, but also at all who would follow him. So this was not just a lesson for Peter, James, and John. When they asked the Lord to teach them to pray, we are actually the beneficiaries of this lesson as well. Which leads me to my point this morning, which is simply this. We must allow the Lord to teach us to pray. <laughs> you want Christians to be convicted? You talk about two things. One is you talk about sharing your faith. And everybody starts to get convicted about that. Because we all know we should be more active in sharing our faith. And the other way you can get Christians convicted? Start talking about prayer. Because I think the reality is a lot of us want to pray. But we're just not very good at it. We haven't exercised those spiritual muscles in such a way where we have very little muscle memory to kick in. So today, I hope that we will walk away from this passage learning more how to pray. So this raises the question, how does Jesus teach us to pray here? Well, it's that that we'll seek to unpack in the next few minutes. So I want to give you four things this morning, basically how to pray. Based on the Lord's Prayer, I want to give you four principles that I see here on how to pray. Number one, realize your position. If you're going to pray effectively, you need to realize your position. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, Jesus begins this prayer with the very familiar opening. What's the first word of the prayer? Try again. Father. But mountains of meaning are poured into that single word. You see, stop and think about it for a minute. Jesus could have called us to address the Lord in any number of ways. Master, sovereign, creator, judge. These things are all true. And yet, when Jesus begins his prayer, he says what? Father. So why is this significant? To, to answer that question, we need a little bit of background. Actually, we need several millennia of background to make sense of why Jesus said Father. When you read the Old Testament, the idea of God as our Father is present, but it's very uncommon. It's quite rare, actually. You just 
don't find the concept embedded in the Old Testament scriptures that greatly. Jesus or God is not often thought of of the father of his people. Then Jesus arrives on the scene and 165 times, that's roughly two times for every chapter in the Gospels, Jesus refers to God as father. It's a stark contrast from the Old Testament. So Jesus primarily refers to God as Father, and in the Old Testament, that idea is not very clear. It seems that Jesus was seeking to shift the way his followers thought about the Lord, and perhaps this is most noted in the way that Jesus prayed. Follow along with me if you will. Here's the Lord praying, Matthew chapter 11, verse 25, I praise you. Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and revealed them to infants. So this is Jesus praying. John 11, verse 41. First word is, I thank you that you have heard me. John 17, verse number one. Pause. There it is. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so that the son may glorify you. Matthew chapter 26, verse number 39. My, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Luke 11, verse number 34. Forgive them because they do not know what they are doing. Do you notice a pattern? It seems like every time that Jesus prays, he addresses God as his. To Jesus, Father was not just a way to address God in prayer. It was the way. So why did Jesus seem to consistently emphasize this point? Why, when Jesus prayed, does he say, Father? I think, in a sense, it is the very reason why Jesus came to earth. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, look at John chapter 1, verse number 11. He, speaking of Jesus, came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave the right to be children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent or of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Listen to this very plainly. Jesus died to make you a child of God. That is why he came. You could say it in some other ways, but you can't say it in less than this way. Jesus came to earth and he lived the life we should have lived and died the death we should have died so that we could address God as what? Father. And this has tremendous implications for prayer. Huge implications for prayer. Because it means this. Let me just highlight a couple of them. If God is your father, it means that he is eager to hear from you. He's your father. He's not just Lord. He's not just master. He's not just sovereign. He's not just creator. He is all those things, but he is also father, which means he wants to hear from you. You're not an inconvenience to him. You're not a burden to him. You are his child. And so come to him. That word father is an invitation to pray. The second thing is that's totally awesome is because God is our father, you don't have to just get prayers just right. You don't have to get it just right. He is 
favorably disposed to you. You don't have to say the right words in the right way or have some sort of password. He's not like your mean boss that's trying to get at you or something. He's your father. He knows what is best for you. He wants what is best for you. And he is able to sort it out even when you can't identify it yourself. He just wants you to come. I have a daughter, Lila. And Lila is one year old. And um, Lila, when Lila says one word, and it is dada. And so I get her to say it constantly. Now here's the thing. If, 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 if Lila's sitting here on the floor and she reaches up her arms to me and she says, dada. I don't say, ah, honey, I'm so sorry. Okay, the proper pronunciation is dad. Okay, just one D, no A at the end. That's not appropriate. Or daddy, I'll, I'll accept daddy, or father. So I- if you could just try that again, try that again. Dad, dad. Nope, sorry, sorry, sorry. We're going to do it right or we're not going to do it at all. You're like, that would be crazy. Yes, because if she makes any semblance of a sound that sounds like dad, dad, Guess what I'm doing? Whoosh. She can say bubba, and I'm like, dada, there it is. That right, right, I heard it. Why? Because I'm her father, and I am favorably disposed to her. And so when Jesus says pray, father, he's saying you may bumble it up. You may sound like a little babbling toddler. That's cool, just pray. Because bear in mind that Jesus died so you could come not to the judge, not to the sovereign, not to the master, not to the king. He's all of those and so much more. But at the end of the day, your father, father wants a relationship with you. Prayer is a relational transaction and you don't pray to somebody aloof. You pray to dad. Number two. Not only do you need to realize your position if you're going to pray like Jesus prays, but you need to reorient your priorities. Look at what it says in verse 2 and notice the first two petitions or requests of Jesus' exemplary prayer. Verse number 2, your name be honored as holy, your kingdom come. In other words, when we pray, we should be concerned about God's glory and God's mission. Your name be honored as holy. That's God's glory. And your kingdom come. That's God's mission. Our prayers should be dominated by the priorities of heaven. If you're going to pray like Jesus, your prayers should be dominated by the priorities of heaven. But here's the thing. They're not usually, are they? I mean... We pray for our aunt or auntie Mary, depending on your cultural background, who's in the hospital. We pray for a good night's rest. We pray that our food would be blessed to our bodies, whatever that means. And of course, we pray for the old standby, traveling mercies. I mean, how how many of you have prayed for those old traveling mercies? We got to pray for those. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't pray for any of those things. By all means, pray for Auntie Mary. 
By all means, pray for traveling mercies. By all means, pray for the food and pray for a good night's rest. Those are all good things. It's not that we shouldn't ask God for those things, but the question we must each ask ourselves is this. Are my prayers typically marked by a kingdom agenda? Am I just praying things any old person would pray, knowing Jesus or not? Are my prayers marked by a kingdom agenda? Are you praying that specific individuals would come to know the Lord? Are you praying that churches would be planted? That missionaries would be sent? That we would experience victory over temptation in our lives? That our lives would be marked by holiness? That we would be bold in proclaiming the gospel? That we would be growing in obedience to God's word? Does that sound like prayers you usually pray? Or is it just, Lord, help me to get this job? Or help the car not to break down? It's not wrong to pray those things. But our prayers, if we're praying like Jesus, should have this instance. Lord, your name be honored as holy. Lord, your kingdom come. And my prayers are aimed in that direction. We should regularly pray for the advancement of God's kingdom and the exaltation of God's name. I was convicted when I heard this question not too long ago. It was simply this. If God chose to answer all of my prayers, what difference would be made in the world? All of them. If God chose to answer every single one of my prayers, what difference would be made in the world? And the fact of the matter is, it's often not a great deal of spiritual difference because my priorities are not aligned with kingdom priorities. Sadly, sometimes... We are so wrapped up in our kingdom that we give little thoughts to God. We're just so consumed with our own lives that we give little thoughts to God, little thought to what God is doing in the world. You see, Jesus doesn't call us to pray in this way, so we will just repeat the words, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. He's got something far more in mind. Jesus wants us to pray this way because he does not simply want to be acknowledged in your prayers. He wants the allegiance of your heart. God is after your heart. And that's why he calls us to pray in this way. Get your eyes off of yourself. Get your eyes up into my kingdom and my agenda and my exaltation and my name. Elevate yourself from your small-minded perspective and see what I'm doing in the world. And here's the thing, that's what you were made for. You were created to live for more than money or experiences or prestige or possessions or comforts. You were made to live for God's kingdom. And I would contend, I would contend that often our prayers and even our lives are lackluster because we set our sights too low. Some of you are bored with life because your eyes are too low. You just are so focused on your little kingdom, and your little kingdom was never meant to carry the day. You were made for the kingdom of the ruler of the world, whose kingdom was everlasting. It will never end, and its scope is monumental beyond our wildest imagination. You were made to live for God. Let's lift up our eyes. As C.S. Lewis puts it, it would seem that our, our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures 
fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Brothers and sisters, let's not be satisfied with just our kingdoms. Let's pray, Lord, your name be honored as holy. Lord, your kingdom come. So if you ever sit at your office and ask, what's the point? Maybe you need to start praying, Father, honored be your name, your kingdom come. If day, if after a day of watching the kids, you think, what is this all for? Maybe you need to start praying, Father, your name be honored as holy, your kingdom come. If after success you think there's got to be more, start praying, Father, honor be your name, your kingdom come. If after failure you feel, I can't, I'm not sure if I can go on, cry out, Father, honor be your name, your kingdom come. Let's elevate our vision and start like Jesus pursuing the exaltation of the great name of God and the advancement of his great mission in the world because it is worth it. Look. If you have ever been tempted to think there's got to be more, here's the good news. There is. There is. And prayer is simply a reminder that we were made for something greater than ourselves. Those words, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, are not throwaway, just some sort of repetition. But they're to reorient reorient our priorities with those of heaven. Number three. Remember your dependence. It seems that when we pray, Jesus wanted this to be a consistent reminder to his disciples and to us that we are dependent on God. Notice the next two phrases. Verse number three, give us each day our daily bread. Then skip to verse four, and do not bring us into temptation. In other words, we are reminded by these two petitions that we are dependent on God, both physically, give us this day our daily bread, and spiritually, don't lead us into temptation. Jesus is saying, you, when you pray, remember God is God and you are not. It's essentially what this is. When you pray, when you bow your knees before the Lord, it's essentially God reminding you, hey, I'm God, you're not. Has it ever occurred to you that God has never needed anything? Nothing. He is utterly independent. That is, everything that God requires is completely within himself. On the other hand, human beings are utterly dependent just to survive. We need air to breathe. We need water to drink. We need food to eat. We need the temperature to remain within a certain range. We need atmospheric pressure to be neither too high nor too low. We need to completely avoid certain substances that are poison to us and also have other substances that will give us life. In, any wor- in other words, we're dependent on all kinds of things that are completely beyond our control. We're just wholly dependent. Though we need God, he does not need us. The Bible says this over and over and over again. Acts chapter 17, verse number 24. The God who made the world and everything in it. He is Lord of heaven and earth. He does not live in shrines made by hands. Neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Since he himself gives everyone life and breath 
and all things. God is independent. We are dependent. But here's the trouble. We live in a technologically advanced, affluent society. And living in that society creates the illusion of self-sufficiency. That is, we can go to the refrigerator and get whatever food we want. And if we don't have it in the fridge, we just go on down the road to Publix, and there they have it with friendly staff and a smile. We, we could, why you always got to go to Popeye's? No, that's, get behind me, Satan. Okay, all right. Be, we can set the thermostat to the temperature of our choice, so we neither have to feel winter nor summer. We can just control that. Uh, because we live in a, we live in buildings and drive vehicles that shield us from even the harshest of elements. We have all of this modern technology and affluence, and we, because of that, are prone to forget that we need God. It's easy to act. It's easy to think that we are in control, is it not? Uh, do, do you remember the Wizard of Oz? And at the end, Dorothy and her crew get there to see the great and powerful Oz. And when they're exposed to him, it's this giant head and smoke and fire and all of this awesome stuff until Toto, the little dog, runs over and he pulls back the curtain. And Dorothy and all of her friends see that Oz is not this powerful, seemingly immortal sorcerer. He's just a little frail old man. Look, technology and affluence are like the trappings of Oz. And prayer is a reminder to pull back the curtain. At the end of the day, we're all pretty fragile. I mean, I don't mean to be morbid, but I, I don't have any control if I'm alive tomorrow. Neither do you. I mean, God forbid somebody could die on the way out of here today. They drop dead of a heart attack. They could get in their car and get in a wreck. We don't know. We're not in control. There are all kinds of things that are far beyond our ability to control. All of us could be dead in an hour. Now, I'm not trying to be crazy or anything, but I think the Lord is saying here, give us our day, this day our daily bread to remind us that we are needy, dependent people. We need God. Listen to these names for a moment. George Dallas, Skylar Koufax, William Wheeler, Levi Morton, Charles Fairbanks, John Gardner, Albin Barker. Anybody recognize them? They are all vice presidents. All of those names. It's impressive, David. Now get out because you ruined my illustration. You're not moving. Yeah. Uh, what? All of these people rose to one of the highest offices in our land. And only one super nerd is able to identify them. <laughs> what is the illustration? It's simply this. That we can climb the mountain of humanity, but the, at the end of the day, our significance is very limited. As Psalm 62 says, common people are only a vapor. Important people an illusion. Together on a scale, they weigh less than a vapor. So why does the Lord want us to remember our dependence? I think a couple reasons. First of all is this. It takes the pressure off. 
God doesn't need me. I need him. And therefore, the world can keep on spinning whether or not I solve every problem and every challenge. It's above my pay grade. I can let God be the creator and be content being the creature. Remembering my dependence helps me to remember who I am. And secondly, I can trust the Lord to provide for me. The Lord is able to meet my needs, big and small, and what is more, he invites me to ask him about them. The, the prayer actually says, ask the Lord for your daily bread. Ask him. He knows your dependence. He's not, he's not offended by that. He tells you to remind him of that. He likes to be asked. The Lord is honored when we bring our neediness to him. So if we're to pray like Jesus, we must remember our dependence. Finally, if we're to pray like Jesus, we need to repent of your sin. Jesus calls us to turn away from the wrongs that we have done. Luke chapter 11, verse number 4, and forgive us our sins. When we pray, we are to confess and repent of ways that we have sinned against the Lord. Well, confess, it's simply means to, to agree with God, to say the same thing about our sin that God says about our sin. And repent means to turn away from it. We were going one way, and we say, no, I don't want that anymore. I'm going to turn away from that. And the Bible says when we do that, when we agree with God about our sin, and we turn away from it in our heart, the Bible says that God will forgive us. 1 John chapter 1, verse number 9 if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, some might hear that and say, well, why is that really necessary? I mean, if I've trusted in Jesus, then I thought all of my sins were forgiven. And that's absolutely true. But we, read to, we need to remember that God is both our judge and our father. Okay, God is both our judge and our father. Let me unpack that for us. The moment a person trusts in Jesus, the Bible says that that person is justified. That is, it's a legal term, which means God, the judge, chooses to declare the sinner righteous because of Jesus. On the cross, God punished Jesus for all of our sins when we put our faith in Christ. God looks at us as righteous and Jesus, and all of our sins were taken away. Our past sins, our present sins, and our future sins. In a legal sense, as a judge sitting up on the bench, he looks at us and say, I choose to look at that person through the lens of Jesus. They are completely righteous. They are completely clean. That's the judge part, okay? And that happens in a moment. In the moment that you trust Jesus, how forgiven are you? 100%. All of our sins are taken away. Yet, yet, God is not just our judge. He is also our father. We've already discussed this. When you trust in Jesus, part of the blessing of that is that God becomes dad to you. You have a new relationship with him. And this relationship, like others, needs to be carefully tended and protected. This means that when you sin against the Lord, you need to confess it and turn away from it. 
not in order to earn positional righteousness. You've received that when you trusted in Jesus in the first place, but to maintain practical fellowship. We confess our sins not to be positionally righteous, but to have practical fellowship. Perhaps the best illustration of this is from the Last Supper. Okay, so Jesus is sitting there with his disciples, and he tells them that, uh, and, and midway through the dinner, Jesus arises, he puts on a towel, he gets a basin of water, and he begins to wash his disciples' feet. He reaches Peter, the apostle of impetuousness. And as always, Peter speaks his mind. Verse number 9 of John chapter 13. Lord, you're washing feet? Not my feet also, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. In other words, hey, don't just wash my feet. Give me a bath. And Jesus says, he teaches in a very important theological principle. Verse number 9. One who has bathed, Jesus told him, does not need to wash anything except his feet. But he is completely clean. In other words, let me distill all this in one phrase. Even the forgiven need regular cleansing. Even the forgiven need regular cleansing. Not so that you'll go to heaven. Not so that God will save you. But so that you maintain fellowship with God. Suppose, suppose Rod and Carrie on their wedding day... Um, their, their vows are said. And at the end, you know, do you love me? Yes, 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 they love each other. You may kiss her by Boom, shoo. Done. Sealed up. Okay, we're going to get a live example. Okay, great. <laughs> now go to Popeye's. Right. Um, and then from that point on, Rod decides, I'm never going to tell Carrie I love her again. Now, I told her when we got married. Done. Didn't change my mind. I don't need to tell her again. Would that make for a great relationship, yes or no? Okay, men, say it louder. No, okay, good. Let's be smart about this, right? The idea is just because the relationship is positionally, they are positionally husband and wife, they need to continue to cultivate that relationship on a relational level, right? The same thing with the Lord. Like, you can be positionally righteous in Christ, but in order to maintain that relationship, not to be saved, but in order to have clear fellowship with Jesus, you need to regularly confess and repent of your sins. And I believe that's why Jesus includes that in the Lord's Prayer. To simply say, even the forgiven need regular cleansing. And this matters. This matters. I'm going to get very pastoral here in a moment. Because perhaps you've been tempted to think that because you are saved, it's really not that important to regularly confess your sins to the Lord. My fear is that many well-meaning Christians fail to do this and as a result, miss out on vibrancy and intimacy in their walk with God. Say, well, where does that come from? Well, look at Psalm chapter 66, verse number 18. This is David speaking, and he says this, if I had cherished iniquity in my heart, then the Lord would not have listened. In other words, that door of fellowship is closed because David is saying, if I cherish sin, if I hang on to my sins, yeah, 
I'm saved, I'm forgiven, but if I continue to harbor these sins, give these sins safe passage in my heart, then the Lord will not listen to me. Or Proverbs chapter number 28, verse 13, the one who conceals his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them will find mercy. So let me speak very frankly. If there is an area of known sin in your life that you are not willing to confess and turn from, bitterness, pornography, greed, deceit, then you are harming your relationship with God. And it doesn't matter how much you come to church. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're hearing this message. But if you have little pet sins in your life that you are coddling, well, this is my pet sin. Nobody can touch it. Just kind of a little area in your life that you've got cordoned off. You're regarding or cherishing iniquity in your heart according to the scripture God's not listening to you. But, back to 1 John, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Friends, it's not, if you want intimacy and fellowship with God, it's not simply enough to say, I'm trusting in the work of Jesus and Jesus alone. Yes, that is for justification, and that is awesome, and you need that. It's the most critical thing you can do in your life. But if you want to be sanctified, enjoy sanctification, growth in godliness, walking with Jesus, then there has to be regular, honest confession of sin in our hearts and lives. You know, justification is not a get-out-of-hell-free card. It invites us into a relationship with God, and therefore, that is why the Lord calls us here, hey, and forgive us of our sins. This is Jesus praying, by the way. And Jesus is laying this out as a sample way for his disciples to seek the Lord in prayer. Simply this, though we will enjoy unending fellowship with God one day, we must fight for unhindered fellowship with God today. And that comes through regular confession and repentance in our lives. So where does this all lead us? Jesus calls us to pray this way because prayer is essentially a way to realign with reality. That's really what prayer is. It's a daily time where we realign with reality. You say, let me... Let me, what do you mean by that? Well, let me illustrate in like a super nerdy way, even more nerdy than David knowing the vice president. In the Lord of the Rings trilogy, there is a character by the name of Gollum. And Gollum was a hobbit, a little furry-footed creature, that finds the ring of power and becomes obsessed with it. So much so that everything about him changes. He becomes a monster, basically. So this friendly little character becomes this 
disgusting, despicable monster. And at one point in the story, Gollum tells his own journey. And he says this, I forgot the taste of bread, the sound of the trees, the softness of the wind. I even forgot my own name. Gollum became so fixated with the ring that he forgot reality. Can you identify? The schedule gets so busy. The job gets so demanding. The family situation gets so challenging. The details of life get so crushing that you forget eternal reality. You forget that you're a child of God. You forget that his kingdom is what matters. You forget that there is forgiveness and cleansing of sin available if you just run to the Lord. You forget that he is God and you are not. You forget the things that really matter. You forgot your own name. And so the Lord in his mercy calls us to pray. Pray. Not so you could check it off your list, but so that you don't fall prey to spiritual amnesia. Pray so that you remember that God is your father. Pray that you, so that you remember that Christ's kingdom is eternal. Pray so that you remember that you need the Lord. And pray so that you remember that God will forgive even the worst skeletons in the closet. He is merciful. We need this to reminder because all of us are prone to develop spiritual amnesia. That is a characteristic of human beings. We just forget. So what I want to do this morning is close in a little bit of an unusual way but it's probably the only appropriate way. I can't preach a message on prayer without saying the application is simply pray. So what I want to do this morning is we're going to put the words up on the screen and I'm going to invite you to just take a few moments and pray through the Lord's Prayer. So here we go. Ready? Father, just quietly take a second and reflect on the fact that God is your Father. Go ahead. name be honored as holy your kingdom come now turn your attention to the priorities of heaven and begin to pray that God's kingdom would be your highest aspiration day, our daily bread. Right now, once again, confess your dependence on the Lord. You need God. Give us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive those in debt to us. Right now, talk to the Lord about your sins. 
Maybe if there's some things in your life that you haven't turned over to the Lord, right now, talk to the Lord about those things. Name them. not bring us into temptation. Ask the Lord right now to help you to follow him. Father, it is in the name of Jesus that we pray all of these things. Oh, Lord, don't let this prayer be something we do once on a Sunday, but lay our lives be marked by dependency on you. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming so that God could be our Father. Thank you that even though you don't need us, Lord, you want us, and you invite us into a relationship with you. Oh, God, thank you that although we are needy, you don't cast us aside, but you are eager and willing to meet our needs so we come. And Lord, we praise you. We praise you that though our hearts are sinful, there is cleansing in Jesus. And no matter how many times we come, you will never cast us out. Lord, may our hearts be captivated by the kingdom. May we not be so wrapped up in our agendas that we forget yours. Oh God, yours is the kingdom and the glory and the power forever and ever. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, do what you must through us. Oh God, help us to be dependent people. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's worship the Lord together.